0: Welcome to part one of the best of Intellicast 2018. Can you believe, Brian, that we have a best of Intellicast? Yeah. Just like the Tonight Show has a best of. Who else has best of? Saturday Night Live? Sure. And Intellicast. Uh, right up there with the Giants. Um, this first part one will include interviews with Seema Vasa and Kristen Luck, two powerhouse women in our industry. Yeah. Very excited to hear what they have to say and kind of reliving the moments. Um, We mentioned in our last podcast, like, one of the things that really stood out to me was Kristen's, like, music choices. Yeah. That really got me. Yeah. Um And the biggest thing about Seema, as I've mentioned before, like, Seema is, like, by de facto. She, I invited her, basically, to be, like, my mentor. <laughs> um, it's just, like how smart she is and how much more she is to the industry. Like yeah. as far as a leader, right? Yeah. Like not only is she, does she have paradigm of what's going on there and not only, and then sample con and then data guru and then like her infinity square and like that type of stuff. Like she knows everything. Like yeah. there's this thing, like people, like people say like, I don't, I don't know. You're a know-it-all. Well, guess what? She knows it all and that's okay. Yeah. I love it. She's the best.
1: Here's something I love about SEMA. I think I've told you this before. She's a, she's great at obviously presenting conferences, but she's also a good conference, like, um, sitting in the audience. Yeah. And I noticed this when I've seen her with, whenever you speak, she'll sit in the front row and she's, she gives you eye contact. She nods her head. She asks questions. She laughs. She gives you some nonverbal communication to give you confidence. And when you're presenting, sometimes it can be kind of scary. You need those people to kind of, you know, affirm yeah. what you're saying, and not make you freak out. She's really you. good at that. I don't know if she knows that.
0: She should. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> please enjoy this. Um, if you have anything, uh, as we close the year out, we're really looking for any kind of feedback about what type of things you'd like to see next year on Telecast. So you can email us at intelecast at emi rscom uh, or tweet us emi underscore research telecast one or Adam Jolly all one word. Without any further ado. Let's jump into the Seema and Kristen interviews. All right, joining us now as our guest for the week, Seema Vasa of uh, Paradigm Research. Seema, great. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, how's everything going?
2: Good, good. Thanks for. Oh my gosh, so sorry. Thanks, Adam. I was going to say Brian because I was thinking Brian Lamar. I apologize. But thanks, Adam, for having me. I'm (laughs) excited to be here.
0: It's no problem. (laughs) Uh, So you were just named uh, the new chair of SampleCon. Congratulations.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm excited.
0: So how how does that uh, come about? Uh, You've been on the board, correct?
2: Yeah, so um, it's interesting. I think as SampleCon has evolved, um, the founding members a couple years ago tried, they they invited a couple people to join the conference committee, and so we kind of got, I got my toes in the water a little bit, and we all tested out how the inner workings of the board worked, but without being officially on the board. And then um, soon after, I got on the board, and then uh, as Patrick Comer was stepping down from his role... um, um, last year I was elected vice chair, and then now that he's rolling off as the chair, I'll be the chairperson for SampleCon.
0: Wow, that's exciting. Uh, what, I guess, knowing where SampleCon's been, I think this year was a big step. Um, going to Austin, you know, getting that, getting away from New Orleans, and I think there, I feel like there was a lot more brands and more buyers of research there in the past, rather than this, you know, this kind of fraternity that we have of sample buyers. Um, but what is the future hold? like? What is what? What do you where do you see SampleCon going? You know,
2: it's interesting. Thing. I think we—we we, it's evolving. I don't think it's a definite um, answer in terms of exactly where it's going. I think as the industry evolves, SampleCon will continue to evolve. We'll, we'll definitely um, be a place where people can, you know, a conf- industry conference where people can come and network, but also, you know, go a little bit beyond that and tackle some issues and, and participate more actively um, on some of the issues that we deal with as an industry. And part of the reason of bringing kind of, buyers of research. And even if you look at our board now, we have market research agencies on the board as well. It's, it's really to say, you know, sample is the foundation of what we do. And it, it doesn't just apply to one segment of the market research community. It, 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 it kind of permeates throughout the entire value chain. And so we're trying to integrate that conversation across a broader spectrum of people.
0: Yeah. Um, well, one of the, I think, the things that I really loved this year are some of the, the panels that came up. And you led um, one of the first panels where the was um, the, the panel that you had where you talked to people from Dell and others kind of talking about what was their their meaning of the week. What was kind of what things that they grabbed out of that. Um, but a lot of times some of those panels, like if you don't have a great guest or you don't have participation from the audience, they can fall flat. Um, what is kind of the what's been the biggest challenge so far at sample class as far as finding the right people to come or finding the right topics to, to explore into
2: yeah you know I think it's an excellent question because it's something that we grapple with every year um, you know we don't want to be redundant and boring and sometimes it feels like if we like, for example, if we bring up the topic of data quality and we don't reframe that or present it in a different light or or actually show progress, there's a real concern of you know people's eyes rolling over and into the back of their heads and, sure. and so we we really try hard to kind of pick the topics that are relevant but also cast them in a different light that show at least progress or new learnings that the audience can take away because after all, I mean, you know, we all go to conferences all the time and if you're hearing the same thing over and over again, you kind of, it's frustrating, quite frankly. Sure, yeah. And as, as, you know, as attendees, as board members too, planning the same content um, doesn't feel like that we're, it doesn't feel like we're evolving. So that's one piece, just trying to, you know, look at the content with a different lens uh, year over year. And then the second thing is, is, is the format? Uh, you know, we did the Shark Tank this year, which was kind of fun and, yeah. and exciting uh, to kind of liven things up. And um, the third thing is, you know, truly we do we do want dynamic speakers on the stage uh, because uh, it's important. It's, it's it's a little bit of showbiz, right? You got to engage the audience, so we yeah. we always try to encourage more and more speakers, different speakers uh, get on stage and, and show what they and share their knowledge with the audience.
0: That I completely agree because there's something about um yeah, you're in that you're in a normally a fun city, um, but yeah. a lot of times you're seeing kind of the same people that you always see if you add that in with talking about the same topics that you always talk about, like it can start to have like a no hope kind of stale type feeling to it um, I think sample con does a good yeah. job of mixing that up right um and, and talking about things that maybe a lot of people aren't talking to and that kind of you know outside of, of sample con, I know that you know you're the founder of the infinity square adventures and and doing a lot, you know, that looking for investment type opportunities. And I guess what, what excites you about where market research and maybe sample in particular is really going. about that like what breaks up the staleness for you
2: in that role? Well, I think, I I think the one thing it, it, depending on kind of your, your mindset, um, To me, the change that's happening in the industry is exciting. I don't find that our industry, specifically in the sample area, is ever static. There's always something happening and moving. Um, We have to continuously improve. Uh, We can never kind of
3: rest on our laurels
2: from from last year. So in, in some ways, you know that's exciting. sometimes it can be it feel a little bit tiring, but for the most part, I think it's pretty exciting just to see even the use of new technology the sample um, it, it can prove to be really exciting. Okay. Um, hey Adam, I'm yeah. so sorry. No, my fine. son's about to die.
0: No, it's fine. Um, let's uh, let's just pause. Let's, I think, yeah. Uh, do you want to give me I... well thanks Seema um, I wanted to move now kind of away from Sama Khan and talk about just uh, I always think it's fascinating everyone that I talk to in the industry like when you ask like how did you get in the industry market research is like a little bit further down the list <laughs> but it's also uh-huh. like everyone is so passionate so it's interesting to me her background story so um, how, how did you get into the market research industry
2: yeah, it, it's, it's funny. I, I quote unquote fell into it. I actually applied for a job at Dell Computers in Austin, Texas and um, ended up going down there for an interview, but also interviewed with a company called IntelliQuest, which was acquired by Millward Brown. And IntelliQuest was basically a research company that focused on the high tech industry. Wow. And my passion really, first and foremost, was to get into high tech. And I thought, well, market research would be a Perfect way for me to learn a lot more about the um, tech industry. and hence that's why I started my career in month at research and I, I never left. Wow.
0: So um, <laughs> like walk me walk me through. so then you spent some time at at IBM and then NPD group. Um, wh- where were you located? Where were you at there? Were you in Chicago?
2: At the MPD Group, no, actually, I was they, their headquarters is in Port Washington, New York, oh, okay. and that's yeah. what brought me out to Port Washington. Yeah, their food business is out in Chicago. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. And so, at the MPD Group, I came in and to really start their tech area, um, they didn't have uh, a really strong foothold on the point of sale tracking and consumer tracking for the tech sectors and. Um, spent a good good amount of time, eight eight years, and yeah. uh, we did three acquisitions. So it was a lot of fast moving stuff, and the business grew. and It was a great it was a great experience, and I learned a ton of it. I, I learned so much uh, working at the NPD Group.
0: Wow, that's great! And then, so so how did uh, Paradigm come about? When did you start it? What was kind of your goal, and 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 where do you see that evolving into?
2: yeah so um, after NPD I, I, I you know I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next so I really had a long kind of exit at NPD because I really wasn't planning to jump into the next thing um, and you know I, I I had always known that I wanted to start my own company I just didn't know when the right time was and quite frankly I don't know if there's a, ever a right time um, Ended up doing some consulting for a while and, uh, later, uh, fell into two different opportunities. One was mobile data collection and the other one was Paradigm. And, and Paradigm really was opportunistic in the sense that we were, we had a partnership where we could monetize a proprietary panel. Um, uh, from Socratic Technologies, actually, yeah. and it was a really robust B two B panel, and uh, that's really how Paradigm started. I, I am a co-founder, of Robert Gray. Uh, he and I both started. Um, he was in California, I was out here in New York, and uh, we got we got underway.
0: It's, it's it's wild. I I hear a lot of the same story, and and even not with like the the starting a company even to that scale, but in anything, I feel like we always. We always know what we need. We just need that push, you know, when you're going to start something, you need that like jump off the ledge type thing. So uh, it's exciting. And that was one thing at SampleCon, Mindy said, you know, are there common behaviors and common like things that all market research have that kind of unite us? And I think that it's that jump in that that ability to jump off the ledge and jump in like a leap of faith type thing that might be like a a big piece that we all kind of have. So that's exciting to hear. That's great.
2: Yeah, um, I agree with you. It, you can call it a little, a little bit of the crazy fever that you just jump in and do it. And, you know, I think part of it is just knowing that you can, you can come out on the other end and, and make sure that it's successful, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, well, well, thanks, Seema. I appreciate, uh, the interview. That, that was great. Um, uh, I wanted to move now into the research rant of the week. Um, if you've ever listened to the podcast, you know, this is usually, uh, Brian Lamar's grumpy time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, any—I mean, you're a ray of sunshine already by not uh, sitting next to me, uh, frowning. But uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead—you you, know—take some time and and kind of give us your your rant on research of the week.
2: Uh, so, my rant on research of the week is basically, you know, I think we spend so much time compiling information into charts. And, and, and it's probably like 80% of what we do in, in terms of being able to deliver a full service research project. And, and it, and it continues to fascinate me as to how little time we have at the tail end of a project to analyze the data and really be able to provide that insight the clients need. Um, it, that's my one, that's, one research rant. My second research rant is if I'm allowed to have two. Yes, you can um, have ten. This
0: is great. I love
2: it. Okay. My second one is, you know, I really want people to put their money where their mouth is. Like, you want quality, the foundation of research is sample. Don't haggle on a buck. Like, let's, (laughs) let's rise up. Let's really believe that we can deliver quality results. It's just we, we have to be able to um, make that decision and, and realize that it does require an investment and a little bit of a, a change of mindset to be able to get that foundational element of the research correct I hundred percent believe it's possible it's just a matter of us changing our mindset
0: oh that's great I uh, your second rant there speaks speaks a lot to me because I I'm constantly battle I feel like And maybe it's just the research industry in general has this kind of battle between almost doing what's best for, you know, call it the brand, the user experience, the behavior, whatever it is, versus like this monetary benefit. And I feel like we're we're always in polarizing aspects of it. Like we're never in the middle. It's either that, oh, we can't do this for the good of the research, for the good of the respondent, for the good of the pro you know, things like that, where it's almost like a nonprofit type business model. And then the other side of it is like this monetary, you know, where you commoditize whether it's the sample or parts of the you know programming, uh, fieldwork type, um, those type things, and it's just somewhere in the middle. It has to be more. There has to be an investment on our side as sample suppliers, and then an investment yeah. on the client side as well um, to really try to, get great, right. to
3: balance.
0: Yeah. For sure. I a hundred percent agree. Uh Brian Lamar's in the room. Now, Brian, do you have anything to add to the Research Around the Week? I love
1: the Research round of the Week and your your first one about not enough time to analyze the data. It brings me back memories when I used to analyze data and you spend she's right, you spend all this time designing a questionnaire and fielding and there's all this back and forth. And then it's done and then you have two days to analyze results and it turns out to be like a one-page PowerPoint deck slide. Like, man, you could go so much deeper and spend so much more time going through this data, and it's just, what's, what's next? So
0: that's number one, and then, of course, number two, I agree with both of you. Yeah, but does does automation, or that, improvements that we're making in automation, which might save time, I think automation is so much right now, we yeah. think about saving money, but if you can save time, does that give more time for the analysis part? Or is it just like trivial, like, oh, another day, great. Uh, well, I'll give my perspective, and let's, let's see what Seema says. Um, I think
1: the timelines have just compressed. So if the client thinks that field time can be compressed by two or three days and everything else is compressed by a day, well, I want my
0: my answers two or three days faster. Uh, That's my opinion. So you're not buying cushion. You're just right. shrinking the time. All right. That makes sense. Seema, any thoughts there?
2: Yeah I tend to agree with you. I, I think that if if clients know that you can shave off a day then the results are expected a day earlier. But the other thing I think about automation which I actually struggle with and, and I think this is the reason why researchers spend so much time with the data that you know we tend to learn what's in the data by playing around with it, by looking at the cross tabs, by charting the PowerPoint decks. And so I think as researchers, we're going to be challenged to be able to consume that data without having to touch it um, and, and really, you know, create the charts and be, be, be more adept to putting stories together without having to kind of do all that grunt work and um, putting it together.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, Seema, um, now it's time for the funner part of the funner? Yeah, okay. All right, More funner. The more funner part of the uh, segment. Uh, so, this is our uh, four Ps where we take four words that start with the letter P, kind of like the marketing mix, and, and just a series of questions, like more personal about you. Um, the first one is present. So, Seema, what is the best birthday present you've ever received? Oh
2: my gosh, I could not pick one. It was so hard to figure the thought out. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I, and, I, and I, don't, I hate to kind of uh, not answer the question, but I will tell you the best birthday present for me is time. I love spending time with my family on my birthday. I am a person who loves, her, I love my birthday. I make no about it. <laughs> I remind people that I don't okay. want gifts. I want cards. And I just love to spend time, whether it's playing tennis, going out for lunch, going for a walk. Um, but that's really the best birthday gift that
0: I could ever have. Oh, that's great. It's, it's, I like when people don't say presents just so when it's someone that does say an actual present comes on, I can kind of shame them for being like materialistic. It's good.
2: Oh, <laughs> mine was a sunny day. So you yeah.
0: Brian's was a sunny day. That was really good. All right. Um, sure. Okay. What, um, what place or day is your ideal setting or your happiest place?
2: Uh, it definitely like a day for me is um, obviously nice weather. It doesn't have to be scorching hot, but a pleasant day, sunny Brian sunny day. Uh-huh. and um, I love it would be perfect to go like on a hike um, and you know even I love tennis and then maybe playing games. I know it sounds silly, but I love we love board games, locus and stuff like that. Just a really relaxed day. Oh, um,
0: and I love our home so that that would probably be my ideal setting that's great that's great so uh, the next one is purpose so uh, who has kind of driven you to success Who? Uh, so who would you thank like if there was an acceptance speech so like the Oscars were last night um, you saw a lot of acceptance speeches a lot of thanking you know agents you know spouses things like that but, but who would you thank in an acceptance speech to get you where you are um
2: uh, every, it, it really would be my family. It would be my family, my closest friends, and anybody who's kind of supported me along the way. It would be my colleagues. It would be, you know, I, I think I'm a sum of a, a set of experiences and all those experiences I've been touched with different people and, in conversations. And, and they're not just the good ones. They're the bad ones too. Sure. Those are the experiences that help me learn and grow. Probably the, the most, um, and they're probably the hardest, but they drive me to even be where I am today.
0: That's that's great. I think so many times we you look back on like the the rainbows and not so much the rain that got you to there. So I'm glad you said that. Like yeah. the tough conversations that you have. We say I I tell new salespeople here all the time. You know the the best way to gain trust into somebody is how you react when you get knocked down, you know, how do you react when you, know, you fell short of something or you didn't, you know, expectations weren't met or even something out of your control, you know, response rate, whatever. But it's how you react to yep. that, that really you gain trust. Because before that, I mean, you're really relying on them to like you, a lot. you mm-hmm. know? Um, uh-huh. So that's great. I'm glad you said that. Um, the last part is person. Uh, and this is where we do our Mount Rushmore of the week, which is, you know, the top four things of a, of a certain category. And All right. I know that you, you, you've you traveled for business. You've done some, some sales stuff. Uh-huh. You've done, you know, some market research type thing. Um, so I wanted to see what are your four best cities for traveling for business? Um, doesn't okay. have to be in the United States. Could be anywhere. Um, but I, I thought it was different because we were talking about, well, it's just like, does that mean just cities? So Brian's like, oh, let's talk about Vegas or Miami or something. I'm like, yeah, but there's no business in San Diego, you know? I mean, it's it's hard to yeah. do that. So uh, what are your four?
2: <laughs> so so I would say, I, I don't know if it's that for everybody. When I was at MPD, I had to go to Tokyo a lot because we had a lot of the Japanese um, clients like wow. Sony or Panasonic and stuff. Sure. So I loved going to Tokyo. It was, completely different from anything I'd experienced and even not just the setting and the people, but the way business was conducted uh, was, was illuminating. So it was, um, it, it was work, but it was just such a mind bending experience that I, I, I would rate it as one of my top cities that I've ever done business. in. Great. Um the second one I would say is London. I love London. I love the culture. I love, I love the pace of London. And again, it, it feels like and it's really defined by the people, but it was it was business but it was a different pace and I felt like it was conducted with a little bit of a different kind of I do say ethics, but it, it it there's something different about doing business in London from a perspective of it's not always it didn't always feel like about the dollars and cents. It was about a deeper relationship and partnerships. Wow. Um and then you know, I, I have to say that uh, we do a lot of business in India, and I wouldn't particularly pick a city. I would just say, again, it's working with our teams in India and my families from India, it's just a different mindset, again, of what that culture brings. The need to contribute, to work hard, to be so appreciative, to have a job. In um, a, a country with so many people, the graciousness that people have to to feel employed and to contribute it's just it, it's amazing and and when you go there you see how much poverty is there that it, it really you feel like you're actually impacting people's lives when when you work with them wow. now which which is exciting um and i and i and i say i really my my fourth, and i don't know if they're in my quarter but i really love manhattan for business i think yeah. it's a great city um lots of different people again Lots of energy, and it's a great place to entertain clients, too, because there's so many different restaurants, and, you know, for the longest time, I'm like, which client wants to go to Hamilton? Because I want to go to Hamilton again. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> that's um, a, that's a the, big joke. Yeah. That's great. That's, uh, yeah. that's a big joke in the office. Brian always, so with my travel, if ever I'm out for more than two or three days, Brian will say, like, okay what's going on in wherever city I'm at, because I've obviously taken into mind, like, uh, there's uh, some kind of game or some, like, a show plan or something, or there's <laughs> a concert, like, going on, so, yeah, I, I get it, but uh, that's a great list. Our, my list is pretty similar. Yeah. Um, I had New York high just because there's so many contingency plans to me, you know, like, if... I- if I go and I'm trying to see a client and, you know, life happens, I think it's, camp- I know that there's 30 other places I can go. Or if I have to you right. know, take somebody to dinner take somebody to lunch, like there's so many places, like there's everything is around me and relatively easy to get around. Um, which is why I knocked off Chicago off my list, by the way, uh, Brian's in here Brian. now. <laughs> uh, because like, I think when most people think Chicago, they think, you know, you're really thinking Michigan Avenue. You're thinking of the loop, but like, there's nothing sadder than, you know, it's four o'clock and you're in Schomburg trying to find a way to get to O'Hare. And it's like, ah, oh, I'm never going to make this you know, six o'clock flight. Like, Chicago is so broad and so vast out, I would never list it. Um, but I had London as well. I had Toronto. Um, I love
2: that Toronto sister. I love yeah, Toronto. I, love I like,
0: that. for like four months of the year, maybe the best city, mm-hmm. one of the best cities in the world. And then uh, mm-hmm. lastly, and this is. Brian's going to not like this. You're going to say this is trash. But D.C. to me is one of my favorite cities to travel to. And there's really no I mean, it's not particularly easy to get around. In fact, it's really hard. Like none of the streets make any sense. Like Northwest. and I'm always lost. Yeah. Um, there's <laughs> I'll, I'll tell a funny story about that. Actually, the time I got lost. Um, I love that the airport is right next to the city. I can get to the airport in 20 minutes from anywhere. And um, Food. I found, like, there's a bunch of restaurants in D.C. Like, I always think about every time, as much as I might seem like I do a lot of crazy things, every time I go somewhere, there's one restaurant in every city that I eat at every time. there, I stay at the same hotel in every city I go to. Like, I try to rent the same car. Like, I'm a real creature of habit that way. In D.C., to me, you go to Momofuku downtown, get the Korean fried chicken. It is the best fried chicken in the world, and and I'm happy. That's why that alone is why I got into my top four travel cities. Hmm. Anyway, huh. you don't
1: think That's it's good?
2: cool? I like it.
0: Well, mine are different. Okay, what do you got? This is why I'm not like a
1: big time podcast host, or I don't <laughs> own my own company. Maybe this is what different mindset. Um, I had San Diego, Las Vegas, Miami, Honolulu. Not a lot of business in those cities. There's a lot of good times though. I keep thinking maybe maybe I did. You know, I had one meeting that day. And then you have a lot of free time for the next two days, or when you're staying along for the entire
0: weekend. That's how I
1: was right, thinking about it's it. That's not bad. With just one or two meetings.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I tell you a quick story. So talk about DC not knowing or this the yeah, everything is. I was. It was probably. I think it was March 2016. It was right after Iowa primaries, and I had a meeting with um, Ted Cruz people, and he had just won Iowa two days before. So it was a Thursday and wow. I go to, I get this address. It was Ted Cruz for president. And I get this ad- and it was like Northwest p street or something like that and i get to this place and it's just like a townhouse and i was like this is it i got the wrong place again i'm going. this is wrong so i walk up and it's like total residential i knock the door a man comes out he's wearing just like shorts in march in dc holding a dog in his hand and i was like i got the wrong address i'm supposed to be it you know and i said like all the different adjectives that could be a street and he's like are you looking for ted cruz for president I was like, "Yeah." So oh my I'm god! In. And I come in, and it was—it was basically they had got a townhouse for the campaign, and inside there was like fifty different interns. And they had all the maps and the colors and stuff on the wall, and it was insane. But like for like ten minutes, I was like, oh, "I just woke this guy up at like nine a.m. <laughs> He's got his dog and some shorts That's a good story. on." But. <laughs> It was, I mean, I, I totally, it was like, to me, I was like, it's not this guy that's wrong. It's the map system in D.C. I knew it was wrong. Well, we clearly did a lot of good work for that campaign, right? Yeah, well, we helped him on his way. <laughs> 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 Couldn't happen to anybody better. Uh, um, all right, Seema, that ends our four Ps part, and now it comes down to the 30-second shot clock, the non-research rant of the week, whenever
2: you're ready. Okay. I am ready. So my non-research rant of the week is, if you want to do something, if you want to accomplish something, don't blame other people as to why you can't do it. Set forth a plan. Put the action items in place and go do it. The only barrier to not getting something done is you and your mindset. I feel like too many times it's too easy to blame everybody around you as to why you can't do something. So I I encourage everybody I know, if you want to do something, just go for it. And just keep keep kind of breaking down the barriers in your mind and saying, if you can't do this, why can't I do it? What's the next step I have to take? What's the next step I have to do? I love and it. And that's my non-research rant.
0: That's great. I'm not even going to say anything else after that because that is... Kind of what I scream for the mountaintops here uh, yeah. all the time, <laughs> but uh, well, thank you so much, Seema I really appreciate it. Um, where can we find you? Where can we reach out to you? Um, anything you want to plug?
2: Sure. So um, I'm going to. You can reach reach find me on Twitter at Seema Vasa. Also, you can find um, us at Paradigm Sample. It's just at Paradigm Sample. Um, Adam, I'm not sure if you know this, but I also am launching my podcast as well. I have kind of a Beta version out. It's uh, called Data Gurus. I'd love to have you on that oh, as that's well. Great. Um, and you can find it in iTunes and Stitcher and also on uh, the Google Marketplace, Android Marketplace.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. I think it's going to be great.
2: Thank you. Well, you know what? I love your format. Uh, I really do. Mine is. I'd love to have you on. It's a different format, but yours is a lot
1: more fun, I think. Ah, Thanks, thanks. Seema, if you want a a rant of the week, I'm always grumpy, so (laughs) let me know. I'm available.
0: Yeah, that's the reason why most people uh, log on is to listen to the grumpiness. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Seema. I really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Seema, and and you have a podcast coming out too, is that correct?
2: Yeah, that is. Thanks, Adam, for mentioning it. It's called the Data Gurus Podcast, and the focus of the podcast is really navigating the data ecosystem together. Um, You know, the idea came about, there's so much fear and uncertainty as to what's happening in our industry. I thought it would be cool to have a platform where I interview and talk to different guests to talk about their perspectives and what they're actually doing to kind of navigate the change. So we're all in it together.
0: Ah, oh, that's great. I think there, there's definitely a place that I'm telling you, the podcast forum to, I think when we started it, I don't know, we didn't start it with a goal. I think that was one thing, but you quickly start to develop one, you know, and you start to say, okay, there's so yeah. many, there's a, everyone has kind of a voice and like a point of view and stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to hear yours. Um, I can't wait to, can't wait to listen.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I can't wait to have you on. I'm going to have you on as well. Um, we'll get you scheduled
1: soon. Great. And, and Seema, I'm available. If you ever need someone to get grumpy, do a rant of or some sort, I'm, I have some time. I have some free time.
2: All right. <laughs> Lots of free time. <laughs> some, uh, <laughs> from, uh, Brian from the Honolulu
1: office? Yes. Yeah. yeah we got to keep our time zones because I <laughs> might still be sleeping.
0: All that business. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Seema. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye. Joining us now is Kristen Love. Kristen, how are you?
3: I'm well. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: No, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, So when I first got into the industry, um, you had basically just gotten just left OTX. It's about 2007. Um, and I don't want to go too far back and like, hey, tell us everything that's ever happened in your life. But for some of the new listeners, maybe some of the people newer to the industry, describe like your background. Like how did, how did you start out in the industry and how did you kind of get to where you were now at luck collective?
3: Yeah. So it's interesting because I actually started out in social science research. So I kind of worked my way through college, uh, at a little um, uh, social science research firm called uh, Oregon Center for Applied Science okay. and uh, this is like back in olden times where uh, you couldn't apply for jobs online and so when I graduated college I, I decided I wanted to move um, out of out of Eugene Oregon which is where I went to school and so I um, I actually bought a LA Times and and applied for a job, you know, like circle that in the newspaper and sent my resume in and ended up getting a job at Lieberman Research Worldwide in uh, Los Angeles, which was really my first entry point in into market research. And it was
2: you know, I kind of thought it was the
3: the same thing as what I had been doing, but as it turns out, market research is vastly, vastly different and moves at a much faster pace than social science research. But that was that was when really my first job out of college and really my first
0: entry point into into the market research industry. Wow. So so you get into market research. It you know, I mean some I think for some people and for me it sometimes too, like when you say things like market research moves faster than you could say anything and I'd be like, no, no way. But (laughs) 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 talk to us that so So you started working in the industry, it's going faster than social, and then um I guess, like, what was the next steps? I know there was a lot of, you know, you go from OTX, then you go into the, you were at and then that gets to Decipher. Um, what was kind of your path from there? What, what were you feeling as you were kind of going through and touching all these different parts of the industry?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think really the defining point for my entire career is that I really just tend to follow things that I'm really interested in and passionate about. So I ended up leaving Lieberman because I really felt like the whole industry was going to go online. And at that, that at that time, you know, Lieberman was just not not ready to go online. And so I sort of BSed my way into a job at AC Nielsen to help build their first online research platform. And having no idea of, of really the online ecosystem or how to build an online research platform or anything else, that went into it and just sort of figured it out as I went. And and that that eventually evolved into leaving and and you know starting my own firm, OTX, which I started with a with a business partner. And uh, and from there, I think it's just a, just a similar trajectory. Uh, after OTX, I was really interested in, in getting more into the uh, data reporting, data visualizations, you know, software licensing side of the space, which led me to eventually sell my, my consulting practice that I had started after that to Decipher and we, you know, took that platform into the, into the software space and, and then ended up selling that. So I, and I think that, that's the really, really the key to success in, in any industry or, or career is really pay attention to the things that excite you and that you're passionate about and, th- and that you naturally excel at because those are the things you're going to be
0: really good at. You touched on so It's so weird that you're touching on this right now. I'm, I Literally this morning, I'm reading this book down. It's called like In the Corner Office. It's like a collection of essays. Um, but one of the first things they talk about is a, CEO, a real a trait that CEOs have to have is this passionate curiosity. And so many times like a CEO might have passion and they might be curious, but putting it together is like a very like hard to find rare trait. And so that you're kind of going back to that, right? It's like, yes, be passionate, be passionate, follow what you like, follow what interests you, but also be curious in it as well. Um, so that's great, man. Absolutely. That's so just that you
3: Absolutely. And, and I think too, you know, I, uh, for me, I have to be blindly convinced that something is going to be a rave success in order to really, put my my heart and my energy into it because when you're building a business or you're working on a new technology or something that hasn't been done before, it's really a grind. I think from, from the outside, a lot of people look at my career path and think like, wow, she's had a whole lot of success, but they don't see all the little failures and the really late nights and the complete disasters that go into building those businesses, which at, which any founder will tell you, it, it's just incredibly stressful, and it can be toxic to your personal life. And so, so to be just very blindly focused on that, and and know without a doubt that you can make it work is is really really important. And to be passionate about it, because you don't want to go into a, something where every day you're dreading going into the office, or you're like, oh, this feels horrible. Um, right. You want to go into things where, gosh, even if you're working. 12 hours a day,
0: you feel really energized by it. Uh, and that's, those are the things that I try to focus on. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, I wanted to talk and, and kind of dive in before we get into what you're doing now to get into wire. Um, because it's, you, it's something that's kind of take I noticed like it takes over my LinkedIn feed. I always get it, it, it. Even if I'm not like, I'm not a woman in research. It still is like very empowering and kind of inspirational to me because it kind of takes the track. Like when we talk about how you get into research, like everyone has a different story. Right. And I think a lot of people getting into research is one part, but staying in research is a whole nother story. Um, and I know Wire's played a big part in that. Um, tell us a little bit, like how did you come up with the idea to start wire? Um, and where do you kind of draw some of your inspiration there?
3: Yeah, uh, so I didn't really have a real plan when I started Wire, to be okay. honest. Uh, I, I I had a friend that was uh, living in Los Angeles that was had just had just moved to LA and was part of the research industry, and she called me and said, "Hey, you know, I'm working in this business." She was in an executive level position and said. I just, I, I only work with men and I only meet men in the business. I don't know any women in the business. Can you introduce me to anyone? And I, I said, gosh, I know lots of women in this business. Um, yeah, I'll just kind of, you know, go through my contacts and we'll just get a bunch of women together for cocktails one, one night. And, um, and so we ended up, I think the first one that we did in LA, we had, you know, it was relatively small. We had about 30 women there. Uh, and everyone had such a good time that we decided we were just going to, we were going to do it quarterly. Um, and so we did that for a couple years. You know, it was just a really informal get together. Uh, in fact, uh, a friend of mine actually forwarded me a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, just did one of the first emails that I had sent out for, it, which is really funny when you look at it. It's just like this big list of people CC'd, like, we're meeting here for cocktails and make it if you can. So, no real formal process behind it. But as, as we started doing more of these meetups and, and, and women really started valuing them, one of the things that I realized was that. In the early stages of my career, I worked almost exclusively with women.
2: And in in the more executive
3: stages of my career, I've worked almost exclusively with men. And and why is that the case? If you look at the research industry overall, it tends to be more heavy on women than men. Um, And yet women are not making it into the executive um, levels of their careers for whatever reason. Um, and there's there's lots of different reasons for that. I mean, and, but I think part of it is also you know there's this famous saying that you can't be what you can't see, and if women don't see other women in those executive roles, and we're not striving for those executive roles, and we're not you know starting our own companies, and we're not moving into the C-suite, it provides a real challenge for other women to get into those roles, to get board seats, and to play a more visible role in the executive levels of a career. And so that that's the that's the point where it really pivoted, and um, and part of that. That I had to start letting go of some things. I'm a, I'm just a perfectionist, control freak by nature, uh, and it got to the point where we were doing, we were doing events in six cities, and I was going to every city and hosting every event and doing everything myself. And I just got to a point where I realized if this thing was really going to grow and take off, I couldn't, I couldn't keep control of everything, and I really had to entrust those events with women who were on the ground, who, who were really passionate about the mission of the organization, and. and and really wanted to participate and volunteer their time. So uh, now we run 24 events a year globally. Uh, We're on um, four different continents now. Uh, We've got over 7,000 women involved in the community, and it's completely supported through corporate donations. And here's my pitch for anyone listening. We do not charge a membership fee. It's not a membership-based organization. All of our content and services are free to the women that participate. And we do that very purposefully to make sure that it's an option for everyone, regardless of where they are in the world, uh, that they're not kept out of education and services because they can't afford to, or because they can't get approval from the company for the funding. Uh, so we're we're supported entirely by corporate donations and sponsorships.
0: Wow. So so really, this is. It, I gotta be like, this is a little bit different than how I've always thought about it because it doesn't really have to stop at research. It, it's kind of universal and then you can even break it down by like vertical. So I, I like, I've been in, I was in sample sales for 10 years and like very rarely do you run into like a, a female sample salesperson, right? And yeah. it's just like, most of <laughs> the time it's like a, you naturally see like a project manager or something like that. But it's kind of the same thing. Like it, it's not that there's natural walls. It's just that we something about the industry had like you, you get put into boxes, right? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be just market research as any industry. Like everyone puts people in boxes and um, is is there a plan? Like uh, they're probably, I mean, this is huge, but like, is there something like, does this have to stop your research? Like could it go in other places?
3: Oh, absolutely. And we collaborate with other women's organizations. Uh, There's some, there's some organizations in New York and Los Angeles and um, Sydney that we collaborate with. So uh, yeah, I think it's a universal problem, honestly, for, for women, and I think part of it too, and I can only speak for myself, but I, I, I know in the early stages of my career when I was really focused on research, I didn't, because I didn't go to business school, I didn't have an understanding of what are the things that businesses really value and what are those high value positions within an organization and what are the skill sets that you need to move into it. You know, I think we, as researchers, we get so focused on research and research skills that we We don't take the time to learn the fundamental business skills that you have to have to move into those executive level positions because when you go into those positions, you're not doing research anymore. You have to understand business finance. You have to understand marketing and sales and what are the metrics that drive business success. And that's a really different skill set that I think in many times women are not aware of or don't take the time to learn because they're focused on, oh gosh, am I a, a really amazing researcher? Yes, you are, but you're never going to make it to the C-suite if all you know are research skills. And that's that's really one of the educational components that we focus on in WIRE is, gosh, how do you learn about business finance? What are the skill sets that you need in order to make it to the C-suite? And how do we connect those women with women who have made it there that we have a mentoring program and a webinar series and all of these educational tools that really help women get ahead in their career in in a meaningful way?
2: In an immeasurable
3: way, we want to make sure we're having a measurable amount of success in the industry. It's not this kind of soft, squishy. We actually know that we're having an impact because we look at it and measure it year for year because we're researchers.
1: Kristen, this is Brian Lamar, and I wanted to mention that I learned a lot about Wire based upon the podcast you did with Sima Vasa. You were on Data Gurus recently, and
3: yeah, yeah,
1: and it was great. It was fantastic. So uh, to learn more about um wire, I would recommend downloading that episode. But the one thing I really appreciated about that is you talked a lot about negotiating salary and the importance of other things um in terms of career advice. And it it made me think that you're not just like you know passionate about wire and women in research. You're a strategist, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, and you're passionate about causes. And I think that you put all that together and that's where the kind of the magic happens. And I, I also have to admit um I, was, I do rants on this podcast occasionally. And at one point, I was like, I'm going to do a rant about WIRE. And it's going to be kind of a joke, you know, because it's a pink website. And oh, my gosh, what are they doing? But it's really my ignorance. So I'm just curious. My question is, like, do you, do you get a lot of feedback from men? How do men react to your organization? Or do you have any struggles because it's kind of focused on women?
3: Yeah. Well, first off, you'll be pleased to hear that we are uh, unpinking our website. <laughs> We're unpinking our brand overall. And, and part of that, and it's, so it's, it's interesting that you just brought this up is as an organization, one of the things that we've decided starting this year is that we're broadening our remit and focusing on diversity overall. Um, and so it's not, not just about women, but I, but I will say that since day one, we've always welcomed men into our events programming. We have men that sit on our board. Uh, if you look at office hours, for instance, which is our online mentoring program that we provide for women that are in the areas where we don't have one-to-one mentoring, uh, those uh, there are there are male hosts that we've had on there. So we're, we're really inclusive um, of men, and and I say that because it's really important. And I, I've seen this happen in other women's organizations where men aren't allowed at their events, so they don't participate in programming. It does not work to talk about diversity. And women's issues in an all-female box. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's kind of like you're just preaching to the choir over and over again. Women know that diversity is an issue, and that we're trying to get ahead. And the the number one thing that we need are male advocates. We need men involved in the programming. We need men as mentors. We need men participating and understanding that there's unconscious bias that comes into play in organizations. Um, I I don't think in many cases, and and I can't see many cases where men are actively trying to hold women back. And I think that's the case at all. I think it's, you know, everyone suffers from unconscious bias, myself included. And I think there's little micro actions that we take day by day that, you know, put some, some groups forward and keep other groups back. And it's just important to be cognizant of that and to understand that we're all, we're all striving for the same thing. We all want our businesses to be a success and um, we all want to make money or I assume most of us do. Uh, And diversity is one way of ensuring that it's, you know, there have been tons of studies that show that more diverse teams, you know, uh, generate more revenue, um, come up with more innovative products and services. And um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's really, we. honestly, I don't get off a lot of blowback from men on, on fire. I've certainly had a few people approach me and say, like, well, I don't understand why you need a women's organization. I, you know, I know 10 women that are in executive positions. Well, yeah, we all know 10 women that are in executive positions. But that's, you know, that's not a that, substantive. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I think it's an, it's important to get men involved and I hope, I mean, you know, if there's any men listening, please reach out to me. We'd love to get more involved in WIRE. That's awesome.
0: I wanted to kind of shift gears because a couple months ago I was at my desk and I get an email. It's one of the best intro newsletter emails I've ever got <laughs> from somebody. Like this, most like soft, comfortable, let down the guard type newsletter emails I've ever gotten. It was from you, Luck, Luck Collective. Yeah. Um, so tell us, like, what's going on with Luck Collective? Kind of, what are you doing with it now? Or kind of the plans moving forward?
3: Yeah. So I, I, Luck Collective is my consultancy. I, I do growth strategy consultancy and advising for companies, not just in the data insights space, but also for emerging CPG and direct-to-consumer brands. So I kind of have a pretty broad gamut of clients at this point. Um, yeah, I'm just... Uh, I think I kind of bring a unique perspective to consulting and advising. I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's a number of people particularly in the insights industry that do advising. And, um, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I pivoted into consulting pretty much, you know, as soon as I exited Decipher after we sold to Focus Vision and I really love it. You know, I, I, and I was really intentional about it. Uh, when, after we sold the company, I kind of thought, gosh, what am I going to do next? And I think a lot of people thought I was going to start another business right away. And, and actually, I just had someone email me yesterday and say like, so what are you going to do next? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> I'm consulting. Uh, and, and that's very intentional. One of the things that I thought about is, and again, I think this goes back to doing the things that you love and being really focused on things you're passionate about. You know, When I think about the things that I've enjoyed most in my career, it's not really the starting up of companies that I love so much. It's the scaling and the growth. Like, Those are the really challenging things. In, in terms of running and building a business. And I thought, gosh, if I could just work with other founders all day and help them scale their businesses the way that I was able to scale mine, that would really be one of the most fun and rewarding things that I could do. So, um, so that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. Sorry. And and the, the email you got is just fun. You know, one of the things I really love is I love writing. Um, I was a journalism major. I double majored in journalism and statistics, which is sort of a weird major, but works out great for <laughs> research. And, and so, um, and I'm a really avid reader. So for me, it's just a, it's an outlet to, to be able to share my thoughts on uh, growth strategy and business performance and, um, and innovation. And, um, if anyone wants to subscribe to it, all you have to do is visit my website and there's a, there's a pop-up right on it. You can sign up for it. That's awesome.
0: Well, we're going to do a shift now into kind of the fun stuff. Um, Enough talking about the business and things like that But Perfect. a lot of times this is like the good part this is, this is the part that people usually either listen to it Like really intently And if somebody sees you out they'll be like Oh my gosh I listen to the same songs Or this is the part where everybody turns off So whatever Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first of all are, are you in Oregon right now? I am in Oregon Are you like in the Bend area?
3: I am I What's live the in a best little, brewery Bay, Bay 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 resort town.
0: What's the best brewery in Bend? way. Well, it's known. So it's like, doesn't Ben have that? like the most breweries per capita than any other city in the States?
3: They do. They do. I, I would say my favorite brewery is Silverman. Oh, great. Yeah. It's a, it's a little tiny brewery. It's kind of hard to find. It's kind of a local special. Um, yeah. They have to make just make a, I'm, I really like pilsners and lagers mm-hmm. uh, and they just make a really good pilsner. Ben Bend has been kind of overrun with IPAs. The, Which are a little, yeah, a little too hoppy yeah. for me. <laughs> so, um, and Silver Moon just makes a really, just make a real nice lager So, um, so yeah,
0: that's my favorite brewery. I'm with you, yeah. Uh, so we'll jump into our four Ps. This is kind of our take on the marketing mix. We take four words and start with a P and kind of expose on them. So uh, the first one is playlist. So, Kristen, what are the last three songs that you've listened to?
3: Yeah, You're I'm really understand. glad that you caught me on this because I, I went back and I, I, my um, my playlist is really weird. So the yes. last three songs I listened to is a song called "Bros" by a band called Wolf Alice. Um, okay. And then um, the, another one was Classic by The Knox. And then the third one, is because I spend a lot of time listening to classical music at my desk, was Carnival of the Animals, which is a cello concerto. So Jeez. Kind of an odd mix.
0: No, it's great though. I mean, it, it beats, it. Okay, we're like sitting on mounds of these interviews where most of them come to like classic rock or Bruno Mars. So it's nice to have some variety. It's great. Yeah. I'm
3: either listening to alternative rock or classical. So right. I have a pretty odd, odd playlist on my, on my
0: phone. <laughs> so the next P is place. So what place or day is your ideal setting or your happiest place?
3: Uh, You know, anytime I'm in the mountains is my happiest place. If I'm camping outdoors, backpacking, snowboarding, kayaking, that is my happiest place. I'm an outdoor junkie. It's one of the prime reasons that I live in Bend. It's just the proximity to the outdoors. So outside, gotta be outside.
0: Love it. Next one is perform. So what is something people don't know about you? What is kind of a hidden talent?
3: Something people don't know about me: uh, I was really into rodeo in high school. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I grew up in a really small town in in Oregon. Uh, I was really into into barrel racing, um, and uh, so yeah, that's my—I would say that's a hidden talent. Although I, you know, I'm like not an active writer at this point, but um, but yeah, rodeo. I was really into it. I go to rodeo every year. I really enjoy it.
0: I love rodeos. I really like. We used to go to them when I was a kid all the time. My my dad, my whole family is in the horse industry, and I thought like to kind of spur the family. I would go into rodeo and not the racing part. And I was like, yes. I want to be like, I want to have like cutting horses. I want. I mean, I was super into it, and then you see people get hurt, and I don't want to get hurt. So
3: I do. Yeah, I never went into any of the kind of crazy, crazy rodeo activities, but I was in barrel racing and full bending. Uh, I had a really great quarter horse and yeah, I just really, really enjoy it. And I still, I still enjoy going to the rodeo and, um, and seeing some of those events. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's small town, small town, USA girl. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: great. So the last thing that we do is person and we do a Mount Rushmore usually, and this is you came up with the topic this time. Um, so what are your top four favorite global destinations?
3: Yeah, so I spend a lot of time traveling, and probably one thing that a lot of people don't know is that I actually live a third of the year in Athens, Greece. Oh, uh So, yeah, so Athens is my my number one global destination. I love Athens. Uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. so much to do. The people are lovely. The food is great. So Athens is my number one. My second is Istanbul. If you've never been to Istanbul, oh, my gosh, what a beautiful city. Just a total combination of east meets west. Uh, again lovely people, great food food is a, a big priority for me when I'm traveling uh, third would be uh, the Maldives if you like a really great beach tropical vacation, you want to see something that might not exist 20 years from now because the Maldives are slowly sinking into the Indian Ocean uh, I would say get there sooner than later beautiful, great diving snorkeling um, yeah. great beaches and then my last one is New Zealand. I love New Zealand. Um, I have a client in New Zealand, and I got to visit them a few times in the last couple of years. And gosh, I just love it there. I love it. It's um, great little farmers markets and beaches, and the people are great. I mean, Kiwis are some of the best folks in the world. So New Zealand's uh, my my number four.
0: That's awesome, Brian. Any of those on your Mount Rushmore? Um, I actually also lived in Athens. Oh, yeah. Athens, Georgia. (laughs) Same
1: thing.
3: Uh, I was (laughs) like,
1: Went to the University of Georgia. Um, My list. gosh, is some great places.
0: That is awesome.
1: The only ones I would like to add were the Athens, Georgia. It is kind of like an international.
0: People say it's the Greece of the South. (laughs) It really is.
1: Um, Budapest is one of my favorites. I love the city of Budapest. I would highly recommend everybody going there. Nice people. Beautiful. Interesting. That's awesome.
0: Well, thank you, Kristen, for joining us today. It was it was great. I, I feel like I got a lot of things answered about not just like the past, but what you're doing at Collective like, Collect- Now and Wire. I just uh, I think it's great. And it's any way that we can get more people into the industry and help them not just be in the industry, but stay in the industry. Um, I love it. I, I think it's great. Um, how can people contact you? Do you want to do some plugs, website, social media?
3: Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on social media. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, pretty active on Twitter. My handle is at Kristen Luck, um, two eyes and Kristen. Uh, I'm also, uh, post a lot of content on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. Uh, my website is uh, luckcollective.com. Uh, email Kristen at luckcollective. Um, and if you want to learn more about WIRE, it's womeninresearch.org
0: is the best website. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Kristen. Appreciate it again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much.
3: Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much. Seema and Kristen, again, reliving those interviews. Oh, my gosh. Takes me back to February and March. That's our Christmas gift to you. Lime. Haka gift. I don't know. Um, Holiday gift. Whatever. Yeah, holiday gift. Come Come on. on, Brian. Part two next week you'll be uh, getting uh, is more interviews uh, it's we only have two parts these were the other two interviews that we thought had the biggest impact with us that'll be Andrew McKinney of lucid and Katie Gross of Synth. please reach out as always and telecast at emi rs.com or you can find us on Twitter a thousand different ways but EMI underscore research is probably the best. We'll talk to you soon.